A game of rugby takes 80 minutes. That's 4,800 seconds. But it only takes one to win a scrum, to steal a line out, make a break and score a try. One second for a hero to become a legend, for one team to become champions. And it's their line-out that creates the opportunities to score their tries, and that's exactly what happened. He goes wide, and he finds a winger. Oiderman, he's faster than a bald man's haircut. Oiderman, and he gets a try. What a heartbreaker. Welcome to MLR Kickoff, Episode 70, with your hosts, Dan Power and Pete Steinberg. Hey folks, welcome to the MLR Kickoff Podcast, Dan Power with you, joined by the Professor Pete Steinberg and a different type of show tonight, Pete, as we are going to dive into the development side of MLR with uh, a lot of teams announcing academies at both uh, men's selects level and also into the youth as well. But firstly, buddy, how you doing? How you holding up? Um, I'm doing well. It's a busy week for me, but... um... Busy means that uh, work is good, so I'm doing well. Now, you just got back from uh, a football game for your son. How did he do? So, moving right along, it was Penny's fourth birthday. <laughs> it was Penny's fourth birthday. We'll just skip over that. Got it. Yeah, uh, we were very reminiscent of the 16 Cleveland Browns. So, I don't know <laughs> if uh, your American football is up to date, but 0-16 for the Browns that year, and uh, it was very similar unfortunately, uh, this year. but uh, right. so, so it's always that, you know, we, we have to do huge youth sport dropouts, right? It's a huge issue in, in sports around the world, but in particular in the US. Actually, that's good for rugby because it means it allows us to pick up crossover athletes later on. But, but one of the reasons why there's a huge youth dropout is because of the questions that we ask kids when they finish playing sport, right? So we ask, did you win? Did you score? None of which they have any control over, right? And so what you want to do is you want to ask, did you have fun, right? You know, did you enjoy playing with your, like things that they can do? And what, what the research suggests is that would help people retain people to sport. So we should definitely do that with our young rugby players. And if there's parents out there, let's ask about their participation and not about the outcomes. Yeah, well, uh, unfortunately, in the midst of the pandemic, tackle football was canceled. So he plays in the grade six division that just got rolled into the grade seven and eight division. So he was a very young, very undersized uh, kid playing against uh, kids two years older than him. But yeah, yeah. experience, good learning experience, and obviously just a, is he a, he, is he a kicker. He's a quarterback. Oh, what? The quarterback. Oh, the quarterback. Oh, no pressure. So, no so pressure. have you guys not watched the Mighty Ducks in? Where the Hawks coach is like, if it's not worth winning, can't win win. You know? Yes, I've seen that movie. I... Quack, 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 quack. That one, yeah, right. <laughs> well, speaking of quacking, there was also an interesting article that came out today, Pete, that delayed recording in the Guardian. We will jump into that later as well. That talks about MLR. So we'll get your opinion and my opinion on that. But uh, first things first, let's, let's focus on the MLR and the positives. And that is what we talked about, the programs that have been launching around the country with the teams as we move forward into that. And obviously, 
we want to thank again our sponsors, uh, Shop MLR, powered by the Rugby Shop, which uh, are now sponsoring the show, and they brought you that opening there. So not sure how they'll feel about the Mighty Ducks reference, unless they have some Anaheim Duck uh, merchandise. Yeah, it's it's a, pretty, it, it's a pretty cool website. There's a lot of cool stuff out there because it's October and the fight for cancer that MLR is stepping up on. So, And you can get a, a ball with any logo. You can get a shirt with any logo. Like It's a great place if you want to get your MLR stuff. Run up in Canada, I believe. So, and we love our neighbours up in Canada. Love Canadian people. So support the Canadian people. Get on there. Buy some stuff. Your favourite team. Maybe a Gilgroni sweatshirt. Maybe a uh, Free Jacks hat. You know? are these, okay, so I feel like, Dan, these are the things that you're stating because they're the things that you would like. So if the rugby shop is listening for the next show, Dan, what was it? it, it you said a Gilgronis sweatshirt and a Free Jacks hat showing your true colours for your favourite teams. Wink. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, one of those things we just mentioned, we sat down with uh, Tom Kindly from the New England Free Jacks, Pete, and we dissected the recently announced youth program. Before we jump into that, though, your thoughts on that announcement? And do you think this is going to be a blueprint used for teams around the league moving forward? Well, I think the New England Free Jacks have um, uh, built an advantage because they're not a city team. They're a regional team. They're New England, right? And because they're New England, it, gives, it makes it a little bit easier for them to reach out to all the different states in Vermont and New Hampshire and Massachusetts and, and be able to build their brand and be able to attract um, fans from across multiple states. I think that's a bit harder for teams that are city-based, but I love what they're doing there. I think the outreach is absolutely spot on. And, you know, it's, a, it's really interesting to hear what, you know, Tom Kinley and Alex Magleby are doing. They've got a very, very long-term view. And um, if the long-term view works, it's going to have a big impact for the game in the US. Well, let's jump into that first interview right now, Pete, as we welcome in Tom Kindly from the New England Free Jacks. And we are joined now by Tom Kindly from the New England Free Jacks. I've, uh, I've dubbed him the Kaiser Soze of Major League Rugby, <laughs> the Moneyball man himself, the genius that is the Free Jacks, uh, Magleby, just uh, the, the front man, the pretty face, but... The Brains really joins us now for the show. TK, thanks for joining us, brother. How are you holding up? Yeah, mate. Thanks for having me on. I, I, I hadn't actually seen Moneyball, uh, and I was directed to uh, that reference. And so I watched it, and I think the big difference between us and the A's at that time was that they were actually winning some games, and we yet to do that. So hopefully that's in the works for us this year coming. TK, you need to read the book. The book is uh, is is very interesting and goes into some of the – um, interesting stuff. No one's moneyballed um, rugby, um, partly because I think the data set isn't as big as it is in uh, um, as in baseball, so it makes it really hard. I did it. We did it a little bit with the women's national team. Here's an interesting stat: we found out that for the U.S. women's national team and actually for women's rug, women's international rugby, um, there was a reverse cor- correlation between fly half rucking and winning. So the more that you fly half rucked the less like you, you were to win, which makes sense. But the fact yeah. that Vader actually said that was pretty interesting. <laughs> so. yeah, it's unbelievable that they said that, that they made note of that. Geez, I would have been a good uh, fly half in the women's game then, Pete, because I never <laughs> But TK, we've got you on the show because we're looking at the, you know, a little bit of a different element to your day-to-day here. You know, you're big on the recruitment of players for the MLR side. 
who are ready to step on the field today. But we want to talk to you more about the future. And we've seen recently the Free Jacks have been very busy with the announcement of their development program uh, that we've, Pete and I are both very big fans of, of what you're doing up there in the New England area, getting these different development sides. And you've actually launched that recently. I saw just this weekend past, you were out there with an exceptionally great number of young men and women playing rugby. Talk us a little bit about the process that you got to, to, to develop this program and then launch it, and then what it's going to look like moving forward. Yeah, no, thanks, Dan. Um, yeah, obviously, Alex Magleby um, is the man, sort of the brain power behind it, and he'd put him in a huge amount of research. Um, and it, a, lot of, a lot of the different conversations had gone in and um, sort of connecting with the local, local stakeholders in each region. Obviously, it's a massive region in New England. We've got six states that we've got to try to encompass and look after um, and support the, the rugby. And there is a lot of rugby across you know, our region, and we're lucky to have that. Uh, so it's designed to be a supportive and additive um, system, academy system. Um, obviously, the RTGs, uh, that acronym stands for Regional Training Group, and we've got 13 of those scattered around New England. We're up in Maine, Portland, Maine, um, Vermont, Massachusetts, Connecticut, all over. And Mags had worked really hard to sort of dive into the cultural and historical significance of each region and sort of tie in the, the name of the RTG uh, into that region. And I think you guys can probably attest uh, to the, how well he's done um, with that venture. And I think we were able to map out sort of a, a plan, sort of a 10-year plan as to where we'd like to get to. Obviously, we'd love to get those teams playing each other, um, those 13 different regions at a independence, being open men and women, uh, under 20, under 18, and under 16 level. Um, if we could get a team from each of those regions playing each other across all 13, that would be marvellous. Obviously, that's probably 10, 5, 10 years away um, down, down, the, down the road. But for the short term, we're going to try to get to each of those regions four times a year, uh, provide opportunities for people to learn to play the game in under 14 level, and for girls and boys, uh, women and men, to develop their skill sets and be identified um, when they may not have had an opportunity to uh, have been so in the past i guess is the the purpose you know it's a it's an interesting i'm not sure i've ever heard anyone lay out a strategy in rugby that's 10 years long certainly not usa rugby so um uh, so that's really impressive because that's exactly what it takes to make a difference right it, it's it, it's having those building blocks and you know mags is definitely someone who's that um big picture strategic thinker for this year, like in your first year, how would you determine that this would be a success? What are some of some of the sort of KPIs that you're looking to meet? Yeah, so with these RTGs, these tracking days, uh, initially we'd said if we go to each of these 13 um, regions and we get 40 people along across all age groups, that'd be a massive success for us. And we were able to get 62 to the very first one this past weekend. Um, and obviously, hopefully we continue to build momentum uh, as we go along and we sort of viewed this period over the next three months obviously it's kind of fragmented in nature because we aren't able to do uh, everything but we are able to run COVID friendly um, uh, tracking days all non-contact small groups um, we've got a bunch of coaches so we can roll around stations there's no co-mingling of groups and we sort of view this as a massive opportunity for us to have a three-month identification window across all age groups 
database every player, um, skill evaluation, physical evaluation, and make sure that we understand what each region needs and what exists currently in each region. So my, my daughter plays, she's, today's her birthday. She turns four today and she plays in the under fives in the Colorado Rapids Youth League. And so I wonder how much of this is for the Free Jacks about sort of branding and creating future fans and how much of this is actually identifying the talent in the region that you can develop that you think might be able to be a pathway to the MLR team. Yeah, I, I think you guys would, would say as well that, you know, if, if we view our current market and and fanship and supporter base as being what, you know, all we're going to need, then, you know, we're incredibly naive and I don't think we'll be around very long. So we've got to exponentially grow the number of supporters we've got and we've got to access new fans. And obviously, uh, we do want to provide opportunities at those junior jacks, those U16, 18, 20 levels for that like sort of really important player base to develop and become our next Free Jacks and next Eagles, men's and women's. Um, but more importantly, we've got to grow the game and make sure that there are youth systems in place in each of these 13 regions that are going to be long-standing and that we've got people there looking after them. And obviously we're going to be resource, resourcing them with our players and our resources. But um, you're dead right in that, you know, that's where we've got to be focusing because those are going to be our season ticket holders Hopefully, they're the people that are going to fall in love with the game and then hopefully become the next administrators, you know, the worst. So, you know, if this was easy, every team would do it. And I think that what you guys are doing is, like, really smart, very long-term. But that requires some resource, right? So what's the investment in terms of resources? How is the Free Drax as a central organization setting up to support these regional training groups? Yeah, so obviously we have some fixed costs and um, once the season was been for 2020, it was like, okay, where are we going to redirect these costs and, and how can we make sure that we're supporting our long-term viability? And so we've got kind of two or three community coaches who are here, Tony Papera and Tiger Leader in particular, who are spearheading a lot of what we do, uh, myself and Oliver, um, alongside the other aspects that we sort of work on, obviously, this is a massive uh, area of emphasis for us, but it takes a lot more than that. So we've got a coaching group of about 25 um, and we, we need each and every one of those 25 to make this work. Um, so we're trying to build out our coaching network, bring people into our coaching system and just as important as growing our player base is growing and developing our coaches. So um, we're, we're lucky to have had Ryan Martin sort of design the Free Jack way, the sort of pillars of success from a coaching point of view. And uh, he's sort of upskilling and coaching the coaches as we go. And that's sort of a bit of the payoff the coaches get and in getting involved in our system. So we've got T Fletcher from AIC, a woman's coach there who plays for Beantown, Olivia Benson, Daniel. Some of our local coaches have been absolutely unreal today. And we're going to need to continue to grow that network. Um, yeah, so I guess in terms of resources, uh, it is pay to play, uh, but it is a minimal cost that hopefully just covers, you know, our costs that we do have. Uh, we try to make sure we pay every coach that we have involved um, just at an hourly rate. And, um, and we do have a, a 501C, I think, I believe is the terminology over here, uh, a charity that we're building out so that everyone can have access regardless of, you know, hopefully the finances are never going to be a barrier to entry and, and we can ensure that that isn't the case 
So TK, everything goes well. Let's say this program gets started and running. You have a strong Northeast youth program playing against each other. What are your indicators of success from a Free Jacks perspective here, both uh, in a player pool perspective and then in a fan base perspective? Have you guys set some goals in terms of what you're looking at in terms of how many players you want to pull out? Because the, and sorry to don't turn this into a longer question than it needs to be, but the recruitment process in America is vastly different to where, let's say, you grew up and, you know, Ryan Martin, like in the Otago system, you can grab a, a player at 12 years of age, put them into an academy like this and watch them progress all the way to playing at the top level in, in super rugby. Whereas it's a little different here with college sports, now the draft being introduced. How, how are you, like, gauging your success on this program? Yeah, so I, I think... Obviously, we've got to balance our competi- well, our competition in particular around um, the, co- the collegiate season, uh, the club season, the high school season. So when we're going to have full access to these players um, is going to be very rare. Um, so we've got to make sure that, you know, we can, uh, to, to give an example for, for next year at an under 18 level, um, we've sort of defined success as maybe we have a north versus south. So every RTG north, we, we select the players that are, you know, up to playing at that level. And same with the southern team. We get a couple of local coaches to become head coaches and drive those teams and we support those coaches. And then uh, they play each other. It might be a curtain raiser for one of our games in, say, early summer. Um, and then we have talked to the Eastern Conference as well. So we've got Old Glory, New York, Toronto, uh, Atlanta, hopefully, and we can play sort of a bit of a tournament potentially at sort of that under-18 level. Obviously, uh, independence or select side, A-side, as other teams are calling it, those teams will probably have an opportunity to, to play each other in the near future as well. Um, but we've got to sort of identify players that are of regional interest, bring them into a, a virtual players of regional interest group, which at, this, at the beginning might be 30 players across all age groups that we think have an opportunity to project and make sure that we're giving uh, those players a bit of love and attention. What, what's the, how does your infrastructure in, interact with the rugby community, sort of the high school, colleges, and in particular the club game? How are these regional um, training groups connected to the different places where they play on a regular basis? Yeah. So they, they're just designed to be additive. So uh, like we've said to a lot of the clubs, the colleges, and we're lucky to have great support from um, high schools as well, from all the sort of the local leaders in each of those fields. Um, we're not trying to take away from anything they're doing. We're not a high school. We're not a club team. We're not a college team. Every Free Jack Academy player will still need each of those things to go and play for. Uh, we're just an opportunity for them to maybe through the season come to some skill development, come and do some skill development work, come and get immersed into our high-performance setup and into the S&C work we do here um, and support their development um, at their program, at their local program. And then obviously uh, when it permits, when time permits, um, it's in certain times of the year we'll have opportunities for players to compete at a higher level uh, if they so wish. But obviously, you know, there's no pressure for people to do so. It's just an opportunity there for hopefully um, the betterment of the game. So the last question from me, and it's obviously something that's close to my heart, it's great that you're doing men and women. Obviously, there's a pathway for the men, um, which is to go on and play for Major League Rugby. Is this the precursor of a 
Free Jacks women's team down the line? Is that in the, in, in the plan as a way to be able to support the women's game? Yeah, absolutely. Like we're lucky now that I think there are 21 varsity, women's varsity programs across the state. So that's unreal. And we've tried to make it very clear and apparent that, hey, look, there's a pathway into a women's varsity program and um, to a great standard of rugby uh, in the women's game. And we've tried to really highlight that through our academy endeavours so far. As for our independence women, absolutely. We'd love for them to compete. Um, we're lucky to have a strong WPL team as well, being down in our area and some local strong women's teams, Boston women's um, and the like here that we love supporting. Um, will they compete? Yes, I think they will. Will it be next year? Potentially. Um, we're working out what, what that looks like. What we're certain about, though, is we're definitely going to be working hand-in-hand -hand with USA Rugby to at least hold something to the effect of a woman's um, training block and then get USA Rugby to come and assess players in our region. But obviously, you know, if we take hold of our region and we do the, the grunt work and the leg work, we can just say to USA Rugby, hey, come along for a look. We think A, B, C, and D need to be identified and should be brought into the system. So hopefully that's how we and the other you know, 11 teams around the States are going to be operating and to support USA Rugby long-term. What about the, the New England Free Jills? So you've got the Free Jacks and the Free Jills. No? I, I, I think Ollie's, I think Ollie's already uh, locked away the, the Instagram name for the Free Jills. So uh, it, could it. Be, it could be in the plans. I love it. Hey, um, you talked about the pillars that Mardo's introduced there. Let's say I'm a young player in, in the New England area. What, what are those pills? What are you looking for in a player in these academies? If I want to go and play for the Free Jacks one day, what are those pillars and, and how, what advice would you give to young players in terms of developing themselves to get towards that ideal, that mould that is a Free Jacks player? Yeah, so uh, core skills, um, long story short, is, is you know, what Ryan Munn's sort of identified as, you know, a player needs to execute on these core skills and ideally execute them under pressure well um, to be, to sort of, you know, progress up the ranks. So what we did is we established uh, sort of a, a cohort of, um, of skill evaluation assessments and every player that gets involved in our system will be assessed on those and give, be given some direction as to, you know, where they can improve. So that's catch pass, um, some different variations of catch pass, uh, core running lines, um, tracking and evasion, basic tracking and basic evasion, um, and then actually kicking as well. So those are the ones that we can do at the moment safely. Obviously, we can't do any contact at the moment, so all the tracking sort of pre-contact. Pre um, but those are going to be the areas of focus from a technical point of view for us. Uh, I think Old Glory did a great job of sort of outlaying the six pillars of an academy system, which we sort of agree with and we're going to be going with as well. Um, but in terms of technical, that's where our focus is going to be and really intensive on providing more opportunities for players to develop those skills. So as for how can they, how can they bet on themselves, just more time, more time in the saddle, I think, is, is the way to go. So we're hopefully providing more opportunities to do that, to get in the saddle and, you know, gain experience and, and perform those skills under pressure and, and be corrected and um, guided and nurtured. But, uh, you know, just get stuck in is is safe to do so and um with your local programs and get your hands on the ball work on the catch pass and you know core skills all right big fella last one and i'd be remiss if i didn't ask 
because uh, MLR announced the schedule's coming up and you had a very busy off-season, you and the whole crew up there in New England. Who are you looking forward to seeing in a Free Jacks jersey next year? What players are you most excited about? Yeah, good question. Um, obviously, you guys have spoken to Tara Matembo. Um, you know, Tara Matembo is a proper super rugby player, devastating ball carrier, great line-out option, real mature, down-to-earth, um, bloke as well so really excited for what he's going to bring to our program similar mould Dougie Fife um, Scottish Sevens kind of superstar uh, obviously he's played 100 games for Edinburgh huge amount of experience and he's only 29 I believe so he's still got a lot to give he's just kind of ready for another experience another opportunity uh, to spin his wheels so excited to get Dougie here and then a final one uh, Spencer Kruger um, he's off to the Bermuda Tens with Ohio at the moment. And I think he's sort of got all the attributes uh, of a top quality front row forward and really excited to see how he progresses um, up here in New England. Well, TK, keep crunching those numbers, big fella. I'm loving what you're doing up there with the free jacks. And uh, it must feel odd coming to work every day surrounded by gingers and being the only normal one in there. But then you are are the redheaded stepchild of the redheaded community up there. So... (laughs) for lack of a better term but keep doing your good work great team up there and again um love what the free jacks are doing and excited for 2021 for you and the whole uh, organization mate love it thanks so much for all you guys are continuing to do it's, it's outstanding love to listen to the kickoff so keep it up thanks Cheers, guys. good stuff there and exciting stuff up in new england it's going to be uh it, it's going to be a great process to follow because I think the benefits not only for New England on the field, we talked about that, also an increase in their fan base, but also for coaching as well. It, yeah. it sounds like they're going to get a lot of coaching involved with this and help bring up that level of coaching in the area. So once you get that free jacks blueprint, we talked about those pillars, and you start learning that from a young age, Pete, once you get up to the senior level of rugby, uh, you know, it just becomes a learned instinct. And that's something that I think has been missing for a long time on that next step here for USA rugby. Yeah. I mean, I think within the U S the age U S age grade programs have tried to make that connection. But when you've got, you know, like 10, 15 contact days a year, it's just not enough to engrave the skills that you want. Having something regional like this, where people can drive an hour and do it once a week, it's going to have a big impact. And you're right. I think that, you know, I'm sure Mags is thinking about a free Jack way, right. And the way that they want those skills to be developed. Um, And I think that we'll, you know, and that's why it's a 10 year plan, right? So this is the sort of thing that we need to think of in USA rugby. We can't think in four year cycles, right. Around the world cup or around the Olympics. We need a, 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 you know, a multi, you know, cycle 10, 12 year view that says the 10 year old that's playing now when they're 20, what, the, what are the skills that we want them to have? And I think the Free Jacks have a way of being able to make that a reality that I'm not sure that we've really seen in the US before. It's funny that that 10-year plan just happens to coincide with the run-in for the 2031 World Cup. Oh, it's, it's like, to me, I think that's exactly right. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I would say that if we really want to make the 2031 World Cup a success, right, which I think we do, it needs a competitive U.S. team. We need to find the best 14, 15-year-olds that are out there now, and we need to invest in them. Find the top 114 or 15-year-olds that are playing rugby, invest in them 
so we can have a competitive team a decade from now. And that's the length of time you need to think about. Well, the next step from that youth program is what we know as a selects program, which is before you get to the MLR, not in college, not in high school, but if you're out there, let's use uh, the free agent term because it's, it's well known in the American landscape. What's next? And then we talked to Utah who have their selects playing this week. So what do you see as the role of this selects type side, Pete? Yeah, I mean, I actually think this is really, really critical for Major League Rugby teams. If you look at the squads that exist, right, they have somewhere around 30, 35, like, real squad players, full-time or, you know, part-time players that are real quality. And then they have another 10, right, that are out there that, that are developmental players. Even if I'm in that 35, I may not step onto the field. Right, like the, the 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 league is so competitive that you don't have any easy games because you don't have any easy games. You're playing your best fifteen, your best twenty three every week. So if I'm the number thirty player, which is a very good player, where do I get my 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 game time? I need playing time to improve, and so we're seeing more of the teams provide that game time in the off season during the fall with these select sides or these developmental squads. And I think it's critical for these teams to be able to develop that base. And in particular, those guys that came in on the draft, they're like 21, 22 years old. They've played college rugby, but they haven't played much men's rugby. They need that time leading into the season. So I think the draft picks in particular at places like Utah, I mean, you can see they've got a strategy here, Dan. They, they selected four players, right, in the draft. They also signed some free agents some people that weren't drafted. So they've now got this core of young players and they know that to prepare them for the 2021 season, they need games. And that's why they have the developmental side. It's a lot of really good kind of systems joined up thinking in Utah. Well, we talked about that and a little bit more too at the end of this one with Brandon Sparks, a director of rugby. Let's bring him into the show now. Sparksy from the Utah Warriors. Joining the show, a man who needs no introduction, but I'll give him one anyway because he's a good bloke. It's Brandon Sparks, a director of rugby, amongst other things, at the Utah Warriors. Sparksy, how's your off-season? The world's longest off-season treating you, buddy. Yeah, uh, you know, for, for an off-season, I'm surprisingly busy. So it's, it's a good thing, um, you know, especially with the pandemic and everything happening. So I consider myself uh, very fortunate to be as busy as I am. Well, I'm as fortunate as you are to have you on the show right now because we're going to talk a little bit about pathways. And the Utah Warriors, you and I chatted uh, at the draft in June. You invested a lot of uh, time and focus drafting four players in the draft, correct? Right. Yep. yep. And now we're seeing the evolution of that as you will start playing rugby this week with the pathway team for the Utah Warriors. Tell us a little bit about how that came about, how the idea to have this development side and, and what you feel is the future of not only a development side for the Warriors, but development rugby in Utah in general. Yeah. I mean, first off, how nice is it to say that we're going to be playing rugby this week? Uh, I don't know if you saw that big old smile that went across my face, but yeah, it's an exciting time. Uh, as far as like the Utah Warriors selects, the, the idea of that, I think, always been around this organization. Uh, through the first through the first couple of years, um, this this year and then obviously you know with the season being called off early, it gave us a good opportunity um, with a good amount of lead up time to create this platform and this program. So 
essentially what we've done with this Utah Selects is it, it's our, our academy team to the MLR team. Uh, it's made up with almost 90% of local talent from the, the state of Utah. Uh, and then we also supplemented it with some talent that we saw in the draft that went undrafted, but we really liked, um, either because of their size, their weight, their school, whatever, what have you. Um, so we invited them out to, to join the program. And, you know, we've got a five-game season set up, uh, first with the MPD Selects, uh, or the MPD All-Stars, which happens this Friday night here. Uh, I think we're really close to an actual sellout. We actually have fans in the stands this time, which is pretty cool. It's also really cool to see the community buy into the Selects program uh, and come and see the future of the MLR uh, play that, that night. You know, we've got the draft picks will be in it. Um, you know, we have a lot of local talent, which, which is really exciting here in Utah. There's, there's an abundance and almost an embarrassment of riches out here. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of that next level down from the MLR. And then you actually, by the time that this is released, uh, you'll see the press release go out with us, uh, from us about our high school academy that we'll be starting, um, which again, will just be about supporting the coaches and players in the Utah community, uh, to help progress them and help them achieve their rugby goals, whatever they may be. Well, that high school academy is obviously a very exciting development, but let's get back to the um, to the your uh, development game. One of the challenges that um, major league rugby teams have is that the guys on the fringe of the team don't get much playing time, right? So I can be in the squad, but if I'm somewhere in between thirty and forty, I'm not getting on the pitch unless there's an injury. Is, that, is there an opportunity for those guys to get playing time in these games? And so we see some guys that we saw in MLR last year, or maybe even the year before playing, right? Yeah. So that will, so that will, that bottom half of that, that MLR roster, the young kids that we brought in, uh, guys that maybe didn't get a whole lot of minutes. Yeah. This is definitely an opportunity for them to get some minutes, uh, you know, and help fix, you know, or, or, or develop skill sets that they need to be successful at that, that next level. Uh, the guys that we do have in there um, are, are really talented uh, and are really establishing themselves as leaders within, within the selects program, which is awesome because now it's starting to not only develop the rugby talent, but also develop the leadership talent. And I'm thankful to have them be a part of this program and, and set an example for these players that, that this type of environment is extremely new for. Um, so yeah, like we we're using that bottom half of that roster to supplement the selects roster and give those guys a chance to be seen GPS data and, and film on them. Uh, you know, because at the end of the day, in two to three years, there are our next great Utah warrior star is in our pathway right now. So when you looked at, um, you know, obviously this off season is unusual with, covid um if you look at a non-covid year like hopefully like next off season how many games do you see this team playing do you see it traveling do you see it traveling playing other mlr teams like what's you know what would that off season look like for yeah. for the development side yeah so with this so we've um become the title sponsor for the the utah men's premier division here in the state uh so in the fall in the fall, what will happen is that MPD will play out um, through its season. And then we'll, you know, obviously this is all theoretical based on our new normal. Uh, 
Right. Uh, you know, but the MPD will play out through the fall, and then we'll take the best players that we ID'd from that MPD, put them into our selects program, and then again play another five game season like what you're seeing us do now. Uh, we would like to spend a lot of that time playing other MLR teams or playing, um, you know, legitimate academy teams. You know, like the Northeast Rugby Academy is one team that's coming out here. Legacy Rugby Academy is another one that's coming out here. So, so identifying those types of academies that are giving support to players that we might be able to scout from, we want to be partners with them. And then obviously the MLR, other MLR teams too. And then once the MLR season rolls around, we would like to keep the selects program going and just play uh, curtain raiser matches or, uh, you know, keeping with your wrestling theme from uh, the previous episodes or a couple of previous episodes, a couple of dark matches before MLR kickoffs right. with other MLR teams uh, or, or other community teams as well. So, yeah, that will, we want to kind of keep it going for about eight months out of the 12. That's awesome. That's awesome. So, uh, like, you know, when you when you look at developing, you talked about some of the skills that maybe some of these um, squad players need to develop and, and how this side is a way for them to do it. Can you talk a little bit about how well connected this is with sort of the MLR coaching staff and Chris Latham's vision of, of how the game needs to be played and, and how the skill sets that he's looking for are being embedded with these players um, at this level. Yeah. So the great thing is, the great thing is, is that there is a ton of synergy between, um, there's a ton of synergy between the MLR team and select staffs, uh, coaching staffs. I mean, you know, Sean and Sean are both here at the selects training sessions, uh, working with our development coaches, uh, as well as the players too. Um, Chris, you know, while back in Australia, riding out this pandemic, watches all the film, him and I talk every day, uh, every training day, just about what we've gone over. Uh, the guys that are on the field at the MLR uh, are, or I'm sorry, the guys that are on the field for the selects are running the exact same attack and defensive structure that the MLR side does. Um, you know, obviously, you know, being in the position I am, I gave the select staff the challenge of, you know, taking that MLR content and then improving it and adding their own twist, uh, you know, kind of to help the growth of our whole organization with on the field content. Um, as far as the skills go, uh, Chris and I, Chris and I actually view the game of rugby the same way. Um, it's a simple game and it's, you know, there's no need to overcomplicate it. So we really just focus on, you know, making sure these guys can pass, catch, control, contact, communicate, and ruck better than the other teams. Uh, and, and we're confident that those five core skill sets will make any player that comes through our pathway successful. So let me, I, I asked the same question of Tom uh, up in New England. Has there been a conversation between like yourself and the league in terms of what happens to these players who are captured in these pathways if they leave the state, go to college somewhere else, and then enter the draft and go to another team? Is there some sort of compensation that comes back to Utah? Or is this just, hey, we're doing this for the good of the game, and we know we'll get a large percentage of these players coming back to Utah at some point anyway? Or are you just... I'm, I'm curious because it's such a, a unique landscape here. Like rugby is a global game and, and academies around the world control the talent through those academy pathways and then they'll often lose them later in their career when they're after money or, you know, something else. Where in the US, the pathway is uniquely different. Like the NFL, in my opinion, is the biggest sport in the US and that is basically college and then we'll take. There's very little you know, local ties, um, if you will, to the community. Like, 
you know, if uh, Utah doesn't have a team. So I'll go with the Denver Broncos. You know, Philip Lindsay's a local kid, but that's an anomaly. He came through the yeah. system at CU. We don't see that very often. What's that conversation been like? And, and, and what's your approach internally to the potential of, hey, are we coaching up players to go to other teams here? Yeah, and I, you know, realistically with us drawing 90% of the talent on this team from Utah, uh, there's already a certain level of, you know, a player being captured simply because they're from here. They have a life here. They have families here. They have a job here, so on and so forth. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, we why we would like to be able to keep every player that we identify, we also know that we also know that we can't. Um, and I think it would be extremely foolish and selfish of us to, to, you know, prevent players from exploring options that are out there. You know, realistically, you, we've all been a part of this game long enough. You know, player A might not fit for us, but he might be a good team. He might be a good fit for another team. Uh, and we want to be a resource for these guys to find a future in rugby. Are, is every player in the select going to be a professional? No. We know that, and they know that as well, too. Uh, but we're going to give them tools, which is film, GPS, data, talent development, all of that type of stuff to be able to present themselves to other teams. Uh, so, you know, we haven't had a direct conversation with the league about how we want or if we want to capture every one of these talents. Um, there are a few that we've, that we've, you know, looked at and we've had pretty serious discussions and invested some, some resources into uh, and with that investment comes a certain level of expectation and return with, from them to us. And, and they're keenly aware of that. We've, we've been upfront with it, but as a whole, no, uh, we want to be a resource for these players. And, and if there's a player that can get on with another team, then so be it like good for him. And, and we'll support that and help him achieve that. Uh, but realistically, you know, we think that we have a good enough system with talent development and talent identification that we'll know those players and we'll have a home for those players here at the Utah Warriors. So, yeah, I think that's a really good uh, PC middle road without answering the question, but answering the question. <laughs> well, well let's, let's get to another place where it's going to be, I think probably pretty hard to be PC and it kind of builds on Dan's discussion. So you talked about having a high school academy. Now yeah. high school academy is interesting, right? Because where does the kid go after high school? Now, is it, do you guys feel like, I mean, there's a lot of good college rugby in Utah, right? And so is this partly about like, hey, if we get really good high school players that can go to BYU or the University of Utah, right? Then they'll stay and, and it's there. Or do you actually see them as an 18 year old coming into this academy program and then having um, sort of college as supplemental to that? Uh yeah, there's something in the works kind of about that, that you will, I won't, I won't, uh, I won't unwrap the present right now. Um, but yeah, you know, we, with the town, with like the high school, with the high school academy, really what's about is, is identifying those players. And, and if there's a player listening to this podcast right now, I hope that they understand the importance that, you know, you should go to college and you should get a college degree uh, or a trade certificate, whatever, it doesn't matter but you should have a safety net. So you're prepared to chase that rugby dream and it not work. You can then turn around and have something that you'll be successful in for the rest of your life. So for us, so for us, like if we can find those high school talented players uh, and then maybe even connect them to college programs, you know, the great thing with, you know, 
you know, I, I, I'll give myself a little bit of a pat on the back here with the exception of Scott Lawrence. I don't feel that there's anybody else in the league that's as connected to, to college rugby as I am simply because that's where I came from before. So like, we have high school kids that we think that we can help get into college programs that will help support both their life dreams and their rugby dreams. We're going to do that. But if we're able to capture them and, and get some data and names and film on these young guys before they go to college and then keep track of them over the four to five years that they're in college and then try to bring them back to Utah and have them be a part of the Utah setup, then I think that we've been really successful. Um, really, it's just about tracking them, though, over the four years once they leave here. And, and I think this is sort of, you know, there's, there's a discussion, right? And people make it binary. They're like, you know, there are academy programs from MLR or people go to college. And I think it's like baseball. Like in mm -hmm. baseball, you can do both, right? Yeah. And I think that's what rugby is going to be for the guys that want to go off and, and, and go to a school and, and play rugby there and, and get a degree. They can do that. And for the guys that want to like, as an 18, 19 year old, go and make an MLR squad. As long as MLR, as long as those teams, are, like you said, providing support around them that can allow them to be successful in life after rugby. I don't think we should be judging someone because it's not part of their career plan when we think yeah. they should be in college, right? So I think yeah. it's sort of like, I think baseball is the best model for us. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and as somebody who's like lived a different, like taken a different career trajectory than, than most people, like, I hope that people understand that there's nothing wrong with wanting to work in professional rugby. Right. You know, just have a backup plan. And if, you know, some of the richest people I know are plumbers. So oh, yeah. no, be, if you want to yeah. make a lot of money, we have yeah. plumbers. Yeah, I mean, be a plumber. Be like a plumber. $20,000, $150,000 a year. Yeah. People don't know. Yeah. Like, do a certification at a community college and then play, play club rugby while you pursue your MLR dreams. But, but yeah. at the end of the day, like just have something that you're going to do for the rest of your life because you know, you know, the window to be an elite athlete is so small on the timeline of your entire life that, that you've got to prepare for the rest of it. Yeah, I'll put you on the spot here because I don't actually know the answer to this myself. But what, what is the legality around, let's say, a major league rugby team partnering with a community college? So let's say you get a player that doesn't want to go to a four-year college. They want to play professional rugby. Can you help them, you know, get there? Because... Where, where I grew up in Australia, that was actually quite common. Yeah. Players at 18, 19 probably physically weren't ready to play in first grade, so they would go and do a trade and they would play minor league baseball, minor league rugby, but then they had partnerships through the club with uh, construction companies, trade schools and that, and they would go and do a trade. I know that here with college sports, even at, at JUCO level, there is obviously eligibility stuff that, that never entered into the equation in Australia, but um you're a smart guy can you help me out well i don't i wouldn't throw around that word smart too much i think i've made a lot more mistakes than other people have so it's definitely a, a wealth of experience to draw from but uh i mean it's i guess if you guys want a good headline from me i i think college rugby needs to figure out its eligibility rules first because the mlr does take you know f for me if i want to do anything college related or even high school related it usually involves three different phone calls to three different organizations and three different people in leadership in those organizations to figure out what we can and can't do um, almost at a per player level, uh, which, which can be a bit exhausting. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to, I don't, again, like I don't want to, I don't want to tip our cards too much, but the, 
as of right now, I'm unaware of any rules that would that would allow for a community college and, a, and an MLR team to join and, and find a nice little home uh, for those players. Um, you know, because realistically, within two years, you're going to know if a player has what it takes to, to compete at this level, which guess what? Two years at a community college is enough time to either get a trade certification or to qualify your um, gen eds to transfer into a four-year university. Yeah, an associate degree, right? You can get an associate yeah. degree. Yes, or, or the third option is associate degree. So, yeah, as of, as of right now, I, I, don't, I don't know of any rules. Um, you know, I believe that there would be some eligibility issues with it. But, but again, I think that's up to us working with the college rugby shareholders to, to figure out what what we can and can't do to, to, to make that happen for a, for a player that, that maybe isn't good enough to be in the MLR, but would like to go off and play at a, at another university, but has been in the MLR setup. Mm. Uh, you know, again, it's, it's, we're all figuring everything out as we go. And, and, you know, as long as we all keep a, an honest and open line of communication with each other's and do what's best for the player I think will be successful as a nation of, of, of rugby people. So Spock's 2020 baby. Get on that ballot. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Joe Rogan and the rock 2020 baby. That's who I'm voting for. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We're actually not to go on a political. Side, yeah. But I, I, yeah I just let's not, you know, let's not go in a political. Side. No, let's not. <laughs> Let's saw, go, saw, this is not a political podcast. It's a rugby it podcast. Is, it is. But I did see Kanye West at the bottom of the ballot. And I'm just yeah, yeah, I did too. I did too. My wife was like, is that who I think it is? I was like, yeah. yes, that's, that's definitely the singer of Gold Digger. So, yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I love it. All right, Sparksy, we won't keep you any longer, brother. Appreciate you jumping on and uh, love what we're hearing out of Utah. Good luck on Friday. A sellout crowd sounds exactly uh, what I think a lot of the rugby world would love to see right now. Obviously, in a in a safe and um, you know effective manner, uh, but looking forward. Anywhere we can watch the match again, I'll just put you on the spot one more. Uh, no, unfortunately, we won't be. We That's won't okay. Be, yeah, but I think you know they might end up on YouTube. Uh, and just just so we're clear, just so I don't get added at a Twitter at on Twitter or anything like that. It is social distancing. It's limited capacity, and everybody has to wear a mask. So we've done everything the best way to keep everybody as safe as possible. A it, safe it, sellout. It's also the easiest way to get a sellout. Yes, it is. Sell out to sell out. It didn't sell out. Yeah, like you've sold all the tickets, you're allowed to sell. Yep, yep. Like sold one everything. fifth of what it's normally. Yep, yep. There you go. So it's all in the turn, it's all in the wording. <laughs> Love it. All right, Sparksy. Appreciate you jumping on, brother. Stay safe. Good luck for the fall, and we're looking forward to catching up in 2021 when MLR kicks off again in March. Yeah, boys, stay safe and go warriors. Go warriors. There you go. Well, the exciting thing is rugby's coming back. We're going to yeah, see there's, some there's, there's a rugby, rugby. Game. There's yeah. a rugby game coming up. That's awesome. With I, did, I, I, did, I did love your sellout comment, Pete. Isn't that great? It's like, oh, yeah, we sold out. You know, it was socially distanced and it was uh, one quarter of a capacity, but it's a sellout to sellout. It's a sellout to sellout, right? No, that'll be Absolutely. fun. Hopefully, we could get some highlights from that game. Um, I don't think they're going to broadcast of what Brandon was saying, but hopefully, we get some footage and Take a look at some of these young guys coming out of the, not only, like you said, not only the draft, but some of these college kids who they picked up as free agents as well. So exciting. And, and look, like club rugby in Utah is really, I mean, it's a hard, there's, there are some great players in those teams. It's a physical league, right? And I think it's a great feeder. So I love the fact that 
their long-term plan is to coordinate their, their sponsors of the, of, of the men's club game. Their long-term, long-term plan is to coordinate with them. Again, it's about giving some young guys playing time. I mean, I think, I think there are some teams in the league that are playing the long game. And I think Utah is one of them. Like, they're really trying to build systems. They're trying to build players that can really sustain them over the next, you know, five, ten years, like we've said before. I don't want to digress too much, but you talk about the talent in Utah. I used to cover that state for an old job. I went out. Blake Burdett, Threaten Palamo, called me up and said, hey, Mikey Palafau was there as well. Hey, we're playing touch. Come down and play touch. So they're running around. There's probably 40, you know, people there playing touch athleticism was unbelievable. I'm like, oh, who is that kid? And he could play. They're like, oh, he's a wide receiver for Utah. You know, he played rugby <laughs> as a kid. Right. They, all play, they all played rugby as kids in the street. And right. then they go and play American football. And similar to a point you brought up with the catchment, right? Like, what happened? Where did, where did he go? But so hopefully they can start tapping into that pipeline in Utah and, and holding on to some of those players. Um, Matt Asiata is a great example. So Matt and I were in camp together at the Vikings. And we would get into the cold tub and talk about rugby. Love rugby. He's back in Utah. He's probably on the older side now, but like all these kids are going to play rugby in Utah. Right. And so, yeah, the pipeline is there. All right, Pete, you ready to talk about this article? All right, let's talk about it. Who's gone for? Who's jumping on the grenade first? Well, you know, first of all, let's tell everyone um, it's uh, Martin Pengali, and Martin is a. Uh, um, I, I think he's the weekend editor for um, the Guardian, the US edition. And Martin's a rugby guy, he's the second row, great guy, um, really knowledgeable about the game, passionate about the game, and actually has provided a lot of really good coverage to rugby in, the, in, in America. Back to the UK, Guardian has a good presence as Australia and around the world. So, you know, when, when you see our US rugby articles in the Guardian, it has a very big reach, much bigger than we do um, in, uh, with, with other media in the, um, in the U.S. around rugby, and and Martin's a serious journalist, right? I mean, he's that. This is what he does for his job. He he writes articles about politics and about other things in the U.S. So so you know, it's I think it's a it's a pretty interesting article. Um, I think there are some things in it that maybe you know I don't agree with. You know, like it's it's difficult to know exactly, but at least my understanding of the way some of these things work. Um, you know, I think the league is people have to understand the league is a single ent- entity. Um, and owners own a piece of the league, right? So, so that's kind of like the, the way that works, right? So, um, and if you own more teams, you own more of the league. This is the MLS model. And the MLS model, um, I think at one point, the Hunts owned three. Um, I also think that, you know, that, so, so it ends because you're not really buying a six. team. Yeah, what I was going to say, AEG. AEG yeah. had six teams. Had six teams. Like, Right. So, so if you, if, if you want to have influence on the league, then, you know, you buy teams because that's the only way you can increase um, your equity in the league. Uh, you know, I think it's, you know, there's some things in there that are true. I think the league was started up by some scrappy people, right. Who had, who had some money that really loved rugby. And, you know, now there are owners with deeper pockets that have come in that want the league to maybe expand a little bit quicker. Um, it's a startup, just like MLS was. Um, it runs primarily from um, funds that come from the teams. And, um, you know, the, uh, the expansion fee, yeah, the expansion fee gets bigger. That's actually one of the things. The expansion fee, and it's interesting, I was talking to um, 
a senior executive that oversees uh, one of the big sports um, companies in the US that owns MLS teams and teams um, around the world. And he said, expansion fees have nothing to do with the business. They have everything to do with scarcity, right? So the deal is like people aren't buying it and making a business decision and looking at cash flow. People are saying there aren't many rugby teams to buy, right? So we want to buy one. An example is MLS, right? The MLS um, expansion fees over 300 million. There's no way that that makes business sense if you looked at how, how much it would cost to run an MLS team and what the MLS league is. But it does make sense if you say that's because it's really, really hard to get an MLS team. So, so the expansion fee is going to continue to grow. Um, it's going to continue to be income for the league. That's the model that, that was set up in following MLS's footsteps. And we hope that a long time from now, so what's that, 25, 30 years from now, someone's paying $300 million for a rugby franchise. Well, just... Just for some comparison, it was a little over 10 years ago that it was around $9 million for an expansion fee in MLS. And then the most recent one, which was in Charlotte, went over $300 million. Right. So that's not a... And soccer had a much longer runway, but much to, to what Commissioner Killebrew said in his you know, State of the League, where we are compared to, to MLS in our infancy... Went much further along than what Major League Soccer was three years into the, into the league, and you know, with with the World Cup potentially on the horizon, that was the catalyst for soccer to sort of start digging its hooks in the U.S. We're going to be much further ahead with a professional league already in existence for over a decade at that point uh, on television, which MLS was almost impossible to find up until probably around ten years ago. And we're already on CBS Sports, we're on Fox Sports, we're on ESPN, so. Yeah, I, I think I, I think the other thing that is really interesting about Major League Rugby, and is and is a distinct advantage over um, Major League Soccer. Major League Rugby could become the number one league in the world, right? Like like the other leagues are, are not profitable, right? They, they they don't pay that much, right? Relatively, right? So you know, if I'm a real top player in the UK. I'm being paid half a million dollars a year, which is a lot, but it's not that much, right? Like it's really like, like it's a lot of money, but it's not like most of those guys aren't earning enough money. And, and by the way, that's a real top player, right? Most, most guys aren't earning enough money to retire for the rest of their lives. If MLR makes it right. So if 10 years from a year, 10 years from now, MLR is still around. There's a world cup here potentially with the number one league in the world with the best players in the world, right? right? There's actually that potential, which there isn't in, in, in soccer. You just not, aren't going to get there. Now, it's a heavy lift for MLR to get there, but you look around and the other leagues aren't healthy. They're struggling, right? Because they're not businesses. They're linked to unions. There's all these sort of like weird incentives, right? Um, and the crowds in most places aren't that big. No, you're right. And, and, and privatisation in sports is quite uncommon in rugby around the globe, right. where here it's, it's the norm. Like you said, the scarcity of owning a professional sports franchise in the US, you've got NFL, NBA, uh, hockey, baseball, um, MLS. Those are your five major sports. MLR is looking to be the sixth. T tier one major professional sport in the USA 
that's not a lot of franchises to go around in an economy that is, you know, arguably one or two in the world. It fluctuates, obviously. Tracking that's difficult. We could do a podcast about economics another time, Pete. Well, I mean, I mean, I, I think I think you're right. So that there are there are cities in the U.S. that are big relative to, let's say, in England, certainly in New Zealand, that could that don't have any major league sports that could sustain an, an, an MLR franchise. Like, then there's 50 of them, right? I mean, the, like the size here just makes it, I think makes it, um, uh, makes it a really interesting. So that's why you see an expansion fee that can be very high because people aren't saying, oh, what's the cash flow now? Like how much money we're we making now? People are saying, man, if we do get 15,000 people in the stands 10 years from now, consistently, maybe we're the best attended league in the world 20,000 almost certainly right mm-hmm. and so and, and and so like you look at that and you're like 10 million dollars for a bet that's not a bad bet right no. and no. you know and Probably. that's and that's where i think people don't understand you know people are like and 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 you know that i think some people misunderstand like the model that mlr is based on which is that long term projected model and, and it, you know there's a lot of execution that has to happen to get there but that you know 10 million that you spend now can be 300 million in 10 years oh i i agree 100 percent. and the irony of for years saying we need money in the game you know the the right where's mark cuban on the on the on the white horse coming to save us now we have money coming into the game it's like whoa, whoa, whoa hang on too much money you're taking away the game you know what's going on it's it's to me it just you know it's double standards but i mean i wanted to kind of i don't want to drag on with this too much because i don't think it deserves the time but for us personally there was a lot in there about the broadcast as well right that to me was something that wasn't warranted and a lot of people probably don't understand how the television side of things work it's just they turn on the tv and they watch the game and that's kind of that um, I, I personally think the standard has improved significantly from where rugby on television was before MLR. Year one was a huge jump. I mean, the professionalism that uh, you and I work with, uh, Kimberly Higgs, she brought in Stacey Pates, Jasmine McIntyre. We've had Danny Wexman come in. Like legitimate sports broadcasters who have come in to help a game that they had nothing to do with in the past and the standard rose again last year with Jeremy Mann and Reese Edwards. I mean, Reese Edwards just did a, a World Cup. He was in the right, he did the World Cup, World Cup final. Like to me, they're saying, "Oh, there's not the rugby IQ." What what absolute ludicrousy! It's like this guy just did the World Cup final, and, and we're going to take shots. It's yeah. Again, I, I found that quite ironic as well. But well, I think people need to understand that that. Um, the way the league is right now, the league has to pay for its own production. And there's been a lot of learning that's happened over the first three years with teams. And, and there's been, a, you know, a varying level of quality, right? Because some teams went online, they did things like Facebook watch. Some teams really invested because they saw it, it kind of depended on, on the strategy. I think that the league um, in this past season recognized that they needed more TV inventory Right, so you saw us get on um, Fox Sports, and you saw us get on ESPNU. Well, that's something that the league has to pay for, right? No one's, you know, and this is very, very common for most teams. 
But, you know, we've been on CBS, right? The MLR final was on CBS. That's a big deal, right? That's half a million people watching that game. And so I think there's, I think there's still growth that can happen. Look, you know, um, Dan, you and I, you know, when we, when we work with the um, Stacys and the Dannys and the Reeses um, and the Jessamines, like, you know, we're here being as good as we can be. But those guys, like, this is their life and their professionalism. Like, we learn a lot from those guys. And so I think there's definitely growth that we can do in consistency of coverage throughout the league. Um, but, you know, it's, it really is a fine line. And it's, you know, I, I, the other thing I would say, and this is something that, you know, over the three years has always been crazy to me. Like, you know, we'll turn up in Austin, right? Different director, different producer, different camera people. Like, this group has never worked together before. Mm-hmm. You do a game and then you never work together again. Right. And, and our camera guys, like if we're lucky, they've done a rugby game before. Right. Right. You know, so, so like filming rugby is different than filming soccer. That's different. Like, so there's, you know, you're there and it's just like the amount of work. And I have to say, um, you know, uh, a shout out to Reese Edwards. I mean, this is the guy, you know, he's at the world cup. He has 44 cameras, like, you know, they're all professionals. It's what they do. And he's willing to say, I want to grow the game comes over to MLR, we've got like five cameras, right? He's before the game, he's explaining people, you know, to the camera guys how to actually video the game, right? Because they've never done a rugby game before. And, you know, you've got to love someone who just does it because he wants to see the game grow. I mean, I have, I have so much respect for that guy and for the work that he's put in for the game in the US um, and for Major League Rugby. I mean, he's just quality. I do. I do remember having a beer with him and Jeremy and yourself or a coffee and, Five cameras? Yeah, yeah, five cameras. How many, how many do you have for a premiership game? Eighteen? Oh, the World Cup? 40, 44? It's like, he goes, but this is great because this is like, you know, guerrilla style. You know, I, I don't even use 44 cameras. This is, I'm, I'm using everything. and All my senses are getting used. But um, no, I, I, I would implore people listening, if, if you want to get a better feel for how startup television works go watch the documentary on espn plus great sports of major league rugby espn plus thank you uh go watch chuck and tito it's a story of how the ufc became the juggernaut is just sold for over four billion dollars a few years ago so they talk about ufc its explosion in the us and i think rugby can learn a lot of lessons from what the ufc did no one touched them Pete. like they were pay-per-view only they were banned they went to spike tv which now no longer exists so a much smaller network and a much smaller reach than what cbs sports is and they pitched them their reality show of the ultimate fighter and they said no way and then they came back to him and said you know what about if um you know we'll give you all the revenue from it no don't want it and finally they went back and said we'll pay for everything you just have to put on your screen okay we're interested now (laughs) and that's kind of where like you said mlr is right now a lot of that money is coming in but the numbers are looking good they're trending upwards uh content is becoming harder to find like i said mlr pushing to be in that top six of the tier one professional sports it's going to find its home so it's it's just a initial problem of a startup any startup company that they're going through but i i think the last three years have been fantastic so yeah moving on moving on let's go on to some more better news around the grounds rhino rugby our good friends over at rhino rugby they come back 
for another year. They will be the official ball provider for MLR and uh, talking to quite a few of the players. Uh, I think they'll be pretty happy with that. The, the quality of ball improved significantly when Rhino became involved. So kickers in particular were quite happy to see Rhino get involved. But uh, good partners of rugby in the US, Pete, and good to see them continue their relationship with Major League Rugby. Yeah, and, and you know, if you haven't played, and you, in particular if you haven't kicked, you don't realise that every ball is different and every ball maker is different. And so, you know, you want a balanced ball, you want a ball that stays tight in the spiral, that has a nice sweet spot. And I think you're right. I think people have been pretty happy with the Rhino rugby balls. Yeah, and the, uh, the Aussie invasion will continue in Los Angeles as Adam Fryer, he comes over as new general manager. So he's worked for Rugby Australia uh, most recently, working in a lot of the, the digital and social media arenas there for uh, Australian rugby. So obviously Adam Gilchrist, the owner there, he has uh, Coleman and Hoyles coming over in the coaching staff. So a strong Australian connection there for LA. But uh, interesting in a very, very tough market to, to capture an audience. Los Angeles, a lot happens in LA. Yeah. So they're bringing in a guy who's very experienced in that world in the Australian market. But uh, I tell you, LA, it's a different beast. It'll be, it'll it's going to be really interesting, right? So, you know, the Giltinis have been pretty quiet. So this is a, a good announcement. Um, we know players have been signed, but not announced. So, you know, we're looking forward to seeing more. There's lots of work going on behind the scenes for the Giltinis. So our friends up in the Pacific Northwest, the Seattle Seawolves, the champ champs, the back-to-back, they announced a five-year deal with AXS for their AXS, I'll say that slowly, for their ticket services. So I think uh, Aaron might know. Who were they with before, Aaron? Who have they changed over? He's muted. They were with um, StubHub. Uh, StubHub. And like, so they, that was like StubHub was there. They had full on marketplace. So I think they were the only team that really had um, secondary market data. Um, So you had, you know, you would go there, um, uh, buy your tickets, and then they would go straight. If fans, you know, wanted to put them straight back in the ticket marketplace, they, they went to the ticket marketplace and, you know, they, as far as data is concerned, I think Seattle's been sort of ahead of the curve in a, in a lot of like analytics side when it comes to knowing certain things about um, trends in, in their own market when it comes to ticketing and some other stuff. Yeah, Pete, get your tickets. Seawolves. Nothing? Nothing from oh, you? Well, I mean... <laughs> The business of I mean, rugby I, is your strong I, point. You know, Aaron, Aaron stole my thunder. I think that... Uh, um, the Seawolves have been really smart about their partners around ticketing. Um, in particular, they've, you know, find, found ways to be able to reach out to sports fans of other teams. And so, you know, this seems like, uh, I mean, it's a five years is a long deal, right? So it's, it certainly shows a commitment um, and a belief in the, in the length of the league when you sign something for five years. Yes, SMO back, uh, back office, back room kind of uh, dealings here for the Warriors as they sign Jesse Sanchez as their new group event manager. Great moustache, great uh, hairdo for Jesse as well. So get on the Utah socials and check that out. And Tyler Howe comes on as their chief revenue officer. A lot of good stuff happening in Utah. The stadium plans. I know they're looking at building that 10,000 seat stadium. We talked to Brandon Sparks about all the stuff going on there. The Warriors, uh, again, just doing the right things in Utah. A great market for rugby, always a hotbed. So excited to see what they can do here in the next few years, Pete. 
Yeah, well, I love this signing because this is someone who has NBA experience and um, uh, it's, it demonstrates, you know, it's a chief revenue officer in events. It's, it's, it shows you that Utah is looking to build that business that's around the game, right? So, so it's, it's more than just tickets. It's your ability to build the business around the game and, and you draw on that, which is makes sense when you look at their plans to build a stadium. Yeah. And always a landlord, never a tenant. That's the key, right? That's how That's you get right. that revenue stream going. All right, let's jump into some signings. Dallas signed Christian Rodriguez out of Lindenwood. So good little player out there. I think he's had quite a bit of experience on the seven circuit, Pete, and um, a good player out of Lindenwood. So Again, another Lindenwood grad coming into MLRs. Quite a few are throughout the league now. And then Old Glory pick up Danny Thomas as well, Pete. So a great signing there for Old Glory. Yeah, so Danny Thomas is really interesting. Originally from the UK, um, moved to California, um, I think right before high school, uh, went on and played at UCLA and Belmont Shore. And he's one of these guys that started playing the game young, but qualifies as an American um, player. So it's a, it's a good pickup for Old Glory. Um, you know, it's going to be uh, tough for Danny with Danny Tustatala in, in front of him there. That's a, that's a tough ask for, for a lift, but um, obviously someone that, that's great to learn from. I think um, Danny Tustatala is playing down in the Mitre 10 right now, and I think was probably the pick of halfbacks in the league last year. Um, and so uh, the two Dannys working um, in the halfback pairing in D.C., I, I actually really like this signing from Old Glory because Danny Thomas is a great kid too. And then getting to sit behind the other Danny and Tusitala, this is taking care of your future, right? This is hay in the barn for Old Glory. Danny Tusitala is, is, I agree with you, I think the form number nine in Major League Rugby. But how much longer is he going to be playing ball for Old Glory? This is locking up a guy who wants to be in the country, will stay in the country, uh, is American eligible. And this is how you build that player pool for the yep. Eagles, for Gary Gold. So I love the signing. I think it's great work from Old Glory. Love what they're doing out there too, Pete. Let's look at some extensions. Uh, the Sabercats, Nicholas Solvera, he extends as does Diego Fortuny. So Love Fortuny. Yeah, I love Diego. Like, like I mean, he's, he's, <laughs> he was an impact and he, seemed, he loves playing this game. So I, I, love, I love putting him on the field. I, I'm going to I'm going to put it out there right now. I think Houston will be the big mover in 2021. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think they've got quality players, right? They've got another year of, of, you know, it's the first, you know, they've got a year of consistent coaching, right? They've got quality coaching there. So they can definitely be. I think Houston's issue has always been one of consistency. They've been one of the best teams in the league for half a game, right? <laughs> and then the other half, they've been one of the worst teams. And yeah. so, for, like, it's really about how do you build that consistency. Yeah, I, I just – I like Paul Healy. I like the, the roster down there. I like the ownership. And I, I think they just want to win. And I think it's getting to the point where they're going to turn that ship around pretty quickly. All right, back to the Free Jacks. Pawasa Wakanibau. What a player he was this year, I think. Uh, saying his name was more enjoyable than – you know, most names in the MLR. He was just an excitement machine on the wing there. I think he played a little bit in the centers too for the Free Jacks. They bring yeah, him back to Fiji. He's, he's one electric player. I mean, that's a like that's one that you have to re-sign because in that back line, he he was he's just a he's, he's a game breaker. 
and, and you can't lose game breakers are rare and you can't lose them. So if you've got one, you've got to resign. Have the Free Jacks launched the Wakini Bow apparel line yet? So they seem to be doing like a shirt for every player, which is, I think it's really smart. And yeah. it builds the brand of the player too. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's like like uh, JBL said last uh, last show, you start building the brand of these players. It's the, the key to success. Um, they've done a good job with that. So keep your eyes out for the Wakini Bow. Hopefully sleeveless because he's got those big guns of his. So cut the sleeves off so he can rock that in those New England winters. Why not? Right. All right, San Diego, the undefeated San Diego in 2020. Peter Malcolm comes back, the USA Eagle. And then uh, Evan, is it Geist? Geist, 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 Geist. I think it's Geist. Geist, we'll go with Geist. I probably should know that. But Peter Malcolm, good to see him on the backside of that ACL. Uh, <coughs> he looked good in his limited time for the Legion this year, Pete. Obviously, five games. And I think um, he would have had an eye on that World Cup in Japan to miss that through injury. Would have been tough. He's young enough to go 2023 in France. So, good to see him coming back. And, you know, along with Dean Muir, really shores up that front row for uh, San Diego. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, when you've got two quality hookers like that, like that's, you know, that's, that's a blessing. It's a, because I think when, when we get into the league next year, like the intensity is going to be higher. I think the um, San Diego are one of the few teams where they can rotate hookers and not lose much. And I think that's, that'll be important. Yeah, I agree. And they do like to play at a pretty fast pace, the Legion. So having Dean Muir or, uh, or Peter Malcolm kind of get to that 55, 60 minute mark and be like, okay, that's, that's my finish line, right? You can tell them, just give me 50 to 60 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You no, know, you've got someone on the bench who can come out and close that game out and do it at a high level as well. So whoever starts. Good for one screw up a show. Uh, Evan Geist uh, is a free Jack was re-signed. So we had Kaiser Soze. I'm going to wake up in the morning with a horse head in my bed. Tom Kindly's going to come after me. This is terrible. I'm making Just so everyone knows this is sort of the thing that Aaron's our, our MLR guru. And so he, he kind of sends us a list and says, all right, here are all, all of the, like most recent signings. And uh, I think obviously as we started talking, you could see him, we can see him in the video, like desperately going onto Google to to work out what's going on. So good catch. I love it. Sorry, sorry, uh, Eric Anderson, Alexander Magleby and Tom Conley. I apologize. Um, Send that horse head down to Arizona, to uh, Aaron Castro at 1725. No, I'm just kidding. All right, we do actually have some more stuff, Pete. Uh, the World Tens has a huge MLR flavor. 51 players with MLR experience will be going, well, I shouldn't say going, they're already down there uh, in Bermuda to play the World Tens. So great to see the MLR teams get behind this and release their players and say, yep, go play some rugby. And it'll be interesting. Not sure if the details for a broadcast have been announced in the US. I, I mean, I, I think it's Sky. That's in the, I think UK. It's in the UK. I think that um, I've heard it's ESPN Plus, but I don't think it's been announced yet. That's sort of the rumor that I heard. Um, but I think there's been some weather issues. So I think the, the original games were supposed to be on Saturday and now they've been pushed to Sunday. Now, you know, I don't know about you, but I've been looking at all of the MLR guys that I follow on social media and they haven't been having any weather problems that I can tell. Right? It's been shorts and t shirts and yeah. like recovery swims. 
in the beach and cliff diving and Bermuda's cool because you like the way you get around is on a is on a scooter, scooter right and so everyone's going around on scooters so i haven't seen anyone with any weather problems out there except maybe will mcgee and, and and the problem that he has with like his fair skin brad tucker have you seen oh the... brad tucker's also another fair skin guy yeah yeah make, make, make sure those guys lather up billy's in his element he's just like you know it's island life what are you kidding this is just normal life but yeah tobacco bay it seems to be the place to be because everyone on instagram has been at tobacco bay so yeah. Uh, maybe no, next year really maybe next year you know we'll get the invite pete but uh maybe maybe yeah. um cheaper flight think, from here than in from the uk that's for sure yeah i mean you know it's been interesting like it's a pretty long commitment for players it's i think three weeks down there there's um you know they're being you know covid smart so they're getting tested every other day um you know so but but i think it's a you know it's a really interesting um event i'm curious to see like what the quality of the games are like mm -hmm. um you know it, it it having played some tens i played in the hong kong tens um and, and the kowloon tens which is way more fun than the hong kong tens but the hong kong tens is more prestigious um and it's a different game it's not sevens it's not 15s right it's probably a little bit more like sevens but it's just it's it's a different kind of game so there's gonna be a lot of learning it's it's like three weekends of, of games it's a little bit of the sort of you know, Indian Premier League trial to see if yeah. this can work, right? And it's going to be, a, I think, a really interesting project and I'm going to be interested to see how it goes. Well, that was, that was always the, the thing with like, sevens just isn't for everyone, like the body type, right? right. Tens, five-man scrum, you still need a, some heavies up front. It's like, it's, it's as close as you can get to both happening at the same time. Right. So it's kind of that sweet spot. But we were still, like, like you said, the IPL with the T20, um, a lot of the cricketers from the tests and the one day has kind of found their way over there. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. We're talking cricket on an American <laughs> rugby show. I love it. All right, that wraps us up, Pete. Another great show in the books. Uh, a lot of exciting stuff happening. And, you know, 150 days, I believe, when we're recording to game one of 2021. Oh. So, yeah, it'll be here. Countdown. Do you have a countdown clock, Dan? I do. I do. I've got the, uh, the countdown clock in the kitchen. I changed it. Don't tell anyone. I'll get in trouble. But... <laughs> 150 days out. All right. Again, just want to thank our amazing sponsors at shopmlr.com, powered by the Rugby Shop. So get on there at www. Do you still have to do the Ws? I don't think you do anymore. Everyone knows that part. Just do shopmlr.com, the Rugby Shop. And, of course, October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So MLR launched a whole range of pink. Uh, get on there, buy some stuff, and you know support a great cause. Pete. Anything to leave on? No, just um, ask all of our followers if, if on whatever platform that you listen to us, um, whether it's Spotify or um, uh, you know Apple Podcasts, please leave a review. Um, you know, give us a score that helps other people find us. So when they put in a search for Major League Rugby, we will pop up. Um, and uh, you know, we keep promising to read them out. I got one. I got okay. actually. I got one because I saw it the other day and I'm like, I, I, I would have totally spaced, Pete, you're the man. This comes from West Potomac RFC new guy. This is a good review too. That's actually made me giggle. Love the podcast so much that I have now listened to every single episode and and, and mad that I'll need to wait to listen to another one. This pod is a must listen for anyone who loves rugby in America, rugby in general, America in general, 
or legendary pop culture references. Thanks, man. <laughs> bane of my podcast. That is the bane of my podcast is my lack of pop culture knowledge. See, now, West Potomac, you've just ruined Pete's life because now Damn. all I needed was one positive review and I'm going to stick with it now. <laughs> he says, as a new player, here comes your part, Pete. As a new player, um, Pete's analysis is helping me learn the game and the strategy and makes me watching matches more enjoyable. So, Pete, you're touching lies, buddy. You are touching lies. The thorough news updates and interviews with players helps me connect to the sport and find players to root for in every game. Even if it isn't, he's mighty free jacks. Oh, glory. So he's kind of splitting the uh, East Coast there. No love for New York, though. Good to see. My wife wants to rate the show a zero out of five because she's tired of hearing it emanating from our shower every morning. I'll bring her around. Well, listen, you let your wife know that you will not meet two nicer guys than Pete and Aaron Castro. So stay on the show. Stick with it. Good review, though, Pete. Five stars. Yeah, that was great. Great review and, and, and you know, um, well-deserved for the readout. So thank you so much, West Potomac rugby guy, rugby new guy. Yeah. Hit us up on Twitter for some pop culture that you want on the next show and I'll squeeze it in for you. So do you want like 90s boy bands, uh, soap operas, daytime soap operas, sitcoms? Like, oh, man. No? Okay. No, 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 you can be like, so you're a young and the restless watcher? I... God, this is going to be a long show. Um, we used to have block exams. I don't know if, Pete, you had those in the UK, but when you would be in exams at high school, they would send you home to study. You wouldn't yeah. stay at school. And I would watch Days of Our Life with my older sister, who was a big fan, and it's, it digs those hooks in, boys. It's, it's incredible. At first, it was just I was in the same room, and then I'd just glance up at the TV. And next thing you know, this guy's back from the dead, and this woman is, you know, not really who she says she is. She's from a shipwreck or something. She has amnesia. It's like Goldie Horn stuff there. I'm throwing that in. But anyway, fantastic stuff. So let's, so I'm all over this. If, let's find us on MLR Kickoff on Twitter. Um, tweet at us with your pop culture needs and Dan will fulfill them on the next show. I tell you, if, if we can get some good ones, I will actually challenge people to come on the show and battle me in pop culture. One-on-one -on, -one on the show, fan engagement, pop culture with a little MLR twist thrown in as well. And, uh, but we have to find a worthy opponent. And it can't be Danny Wexelman because I'll lose. But anyone but Danny. All right, I'm going to wrap it. Pete Steinberg, Aaron Castro, Dan Power. This has been the MLR Kickoff Podcast.